I'm so glad you're joining me on Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are talking about worldliness as unbelief. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 10. We're going to see how God instructed Israel to create these trumpets, and these trumpets were going to be a perpetual aspect for the nation of Israel. And then we're going to be over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to see that just as the people of God were to live ready lives, listening for the sound of the trumpet, the same is true for the people of God today in our generation. We're going to talk about worldliness and how that could cause you to miss the coming of Christ. I hope today not only encourages your faith, I hope it challenges your faith as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'm glad you're joining me today on Awaken to Grace. Today I want to invite you to Numbers chapter 10. We have been in a series called Battling Unbelief. If you've missed some of this series, let me just recap for a few moments because I've got a great deal of content to cover today that uh, I want to get to. But let me just recap for a moment. We began in week one talking about impatience as a form of unbelief when Moses hit the rock rather than speaking to it. We saw that the rock was representative of Jesus Christ. It was symbolic of Christ. And then in week two, we saw in Numbers chapter 21, complaining as unbelief. Oh, I don't know about you, but that sermon hit me right where I'm living. We talked about complaining as a form of unbelief. And we defined in this series unbelief like this. We said that unbelief is when we know what God says and what God expects, and yet we think and behave in an opposite manner. Unbelief is not just saying, well, you know, unbelief is people who don't believe in Jesus. No, that's not just unbelief. Or unbelief is those who don't believe in salvation. No, not necessarily. Unbelief can be in a believer's life. When you and I know what God says, and we know what God expects, and yet we think the opposite, and we do the opposite, that is unbelief. So, as an example, if the Bible says, do not worry and do not be anxious about anything, We know what God says, we know what God expects, but yet when we allow ourselves to worry over every little thing, and we allow ourselves to fret over things that we can't control, and we just wring our hands, and we're always anxious, and our stomach's always in knots because we're always worried, is that a form of unbelief? It is. And so I think if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we're sensitive to the word of God in our life, you and I will detect areas, you and I will detect forms of unbelief that God wants us to rid out of our lives. 
And as we get unbelief out of our life, we put faith in, amen? And then our faith grows and it compounds and it gets stronger and it gets more fortified. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves people of great faith. And that's the kind of man I want to be. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man that no battle can turn me around. No giant can defeat me. No weapon of war can form against me. I want to be a man of God that no mountain is going to stop me. I'm going to continue to believe God, trust God, pray to God. I'm going to watch God do extraordinary things in my life. No matter what my life's circumstances are saying to me, I'm going to believe above that what God says. Amen? And I can't do that when I think opposite of God's word. That's unbelief. I cannot do that when I act or I behave or I do opposite of what God's word says. That is unbelief. And you remember what we said in week one, when Jesus could not do miracles in his hometown, what was the reason why? It wasn't satanic oppression. And it wasn't demonic activity. The Bible says it was due to their unbelief. And if unbelief restricted the Son of God from doing miracles, then what is unbelief hindering in my life and in your life? That's why this is such a big topic. So today, Lord willing... I want to talk to you about worldliness as unbelief. I want to define what worldliness is. If unbelief is thinking and acting opposite of what God says or expects, then how do we define worldliness? Well, let's define worldliness like this. Worldliness is anything that cools my affections for Jesus. To me, that's worldly. Anything that cools my affections toward Jesus. So rather than saying, well, this certain thing is worldly, or that certain thing is what that's okay because the Bible doesn't speak against it. Well, this is okay in my life because the Bible doesn't say nothing about it. If the Bible says a certain thing about a certain topic, okay, but if it doesn't mention a certain thing or area or interest or whatever in my life, how do I know if it's good or healthy or right or wrong for me? A good indicator is does it cool your affection for Jesus? I listen to very little anything that's not worship or gospel or whatever, but when I do, here's one indicator that tells me something. Can I really pray and have an authentic conversation with Jesus based on what I'm listening to or used to watch? (laughs) Now listen. Does it cool that? Does it hinder that? When I'm around certain people, do they, are they good for me? 
Are they good for my spirit? Are they worldly? Well, here's the indicator. When I'm around them, does it cool my affections for Jesus? The places where I choose to go, the places where I choose to hang out, the places that I associate myself with, do they cool my affections for Jesus? To me, those things are worldly. And that's, for me, how I define it. Now, today, I'm going to show you why worldliness matters. And I want to first invite you to Numbers chapter 10. And then we're going to build upon Numbers chapter 10 by going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So we're going to be both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. And my goal is to thread the New the Old Testament in Numbers, and we're going we're gonna to take a thread through the Word of God today all the way to 1 Thessalonians 4 and really even to Revelation chapter 1. Let's go. Numbers chapter 10. I'm not going to, as most of you know, I memorize most of the text because I'm unable to see it, so I memorize it all. But today I have so much content to share with you. I'm just going to paraphrase a couple of things. You can read it for yourself. The text is going to be Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. In this section of scripture, God tells Moses to hammer out two silver trumpets. This is going to be glorious. I can't wait to share all this with you today. This is so dear to my heart. The Lord said to hammer out two silver trumpets, and the trumpets... We're going to have significant meaning to the people of God going forward. He explains in the rest of the text, if if you give out uh, a blast, if you give out, you'd have to read it for yourself because I may get this a little backward, but if you give out two blasts and sound an alarm, then the people are together, the, the leaders are together. If you give out one long blast without an alarm, then that means the entire congregation is to get ready to move. Now you gotta understand the backstory of what's going on. We're not talking about 500 or 1,000 people. We're talking about over 1 million people wandering as a caravan. The nation of Israel is in the wilderness. They are walking on foot. They are traveling. <coughs> Excuse me, they are moving as a caravan, and this is how God is directing them. The Bible says in the previous chapter, chapter 9, the Bible says that it is a pillar of cloud by day, and it is a pillar of, of fire by night. And Israel was to watch these pillars. And when the pillar of cloud moved by the day, then the people were to move. When the pillar of fire moved at night, the people were to move. And wherever this pillar settled, that's where the camp was to settle. So can you imagine the logistical skills of moving over one million people throughout a wilderness? Can you imagine what that took? Can you imagine the time it took? How slow of a process it must have been? You're talking about Israel wondering for 40 years Think how long of a process it was to pull up camp and to get a million people to go in the same direction at the same time. And so to bring greater order to the people of God, the Lord told Moses, hammer out two silver trumpets and 
The Bible says in chapter 10, this is going to be a perpetual aspect to the people of God from here on out. The trumpets did multiple things. When they sounded a certain alarm, it was a call for the men of war to get ready. They would sound the alarm. And that would mean that it's wartime and people were to get ready for war. But they were to sound the trumpets before the holy days, before the feast of the Lord. They were to sound the trumpets before, <coughs> before the offerings, the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, and all the other offerings. The trumpets had tremendous significance for the people of God. Now that's Numbers chapter 10. Now remember, we said a couple of weeks ago, <coughs> excuse me, I'm so sorry for my congestion. You pray for me this morning. We said a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, everything that happened to Israel in the wilderness, everything that was written, the Bible says is for our benefit. It is unto our example. And so when we think about these trumpets that sounded an alarm, when we think about the trumpet that told the congregation when they were going to move, what it says to us is that Israel were pilgrims. They weren't settling in the wilderness. They were seeking a better country. They were going to the promised land. And what it said is that they always had to be a people who were ready. They always had to be a people that was ready to go when they heard the trumpet. It meant that they lived in transition. It meant that they were never to get comfortable and settle in. It meant that they were to trust God and go the distance and believe that God was going to do exactly what God said that he would do. Friends, the same, so it is the same in our lives today. I want you to go with me now to 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. And I want to show you that God's plan is the same even for us today. You know, the Bible calls us in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that we are pilgrims on this earth. We're not to get comfortable living here. You understand that? D.L. Moody said it so well in his day in the 1800s. He said, some Christians are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Unfortunately, in our day, in 2020, I'm afraid that it is the exact opposite For many of us, Christians are so earthly-minded that now we're no heavenly good. You understand what I'm saying? And so you and I have to ask ourselves a question, and this is my question I have for you today. Are we willing to live lives so holy? Are we willing to live lives of such godliness? Are we willing to live lives that so honor and please the Lord and are so biblical that we live as people who are ready for when Christ comes? Ready for the Son of God to return to this earth? Or are we settled in the wilderness? Are we comfortable? Do we have strings attached down here? As many of you know, I used to travel all the time doing mission work. I've been to about 40 countries, and I used to travel all over the world constantly, all the time, on the go. And you know, there was one thing that I never took with me. I'd always take a laptop. I'd always take, uh, you know, a little bit of extra cash, and I'd always take, you know, certainly my passport, and there were just so many things that I had to make sure I had, but do you know what the one thing I never did take with me anywhere I went in the world? My keys. 
And one day, it dawned on me. I went to reach for my keys, and I realized, yeah, there's no need to have keys. You don't need keys when you're just passing through. You don't need keys when you're just a pilgrim. When I would travel through Egypt or Tanzania or South Africa or Vietnam or any of those places, I don't own anything there. So why would I need to take keys with me? Everything I own is right here. Amen? I saw myself as a visitor just passing through. Friends, the Bible says that right now, right now, this very moment, You and I are citizens of heaven, amen? And everything, let me tell you, everything that I truly own is already at home. I don't own anything here. I'm a steward. I manage some things. God has placed a couple of things in my hands. But see, when I draw my last breath, then whose will those be? No, what I really own is in my real home. So 1 Thessalonians chapter four, if you notice the very last verse of the chapter, Paul tells us, encourage one another with these words. Brothers, sisters, that's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna encourage you with some of these words today about the return of Christ. See, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, the Bible says that when Christ comes, this is how he's gonna return. The Bible says he's gonna come back on the clouds. How did he ascend to his father? He ascended in the clouds. And the Bible says in a like manner, he's gonna return. And when Christ returns, when Christ comes, And I'm gonna give you some evidence today why I believe it's nearer than what we think. When Christ returns, the Bible says that he's going to descend with a shout. The ESV says, with a cry of command. I love that. The Lord's gonna come back with a cry of command. Why? Because he's the captain of the armies of the host of heaven. And the captain is going to descend with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel. And do you know what's going to happen when Christ returns? There is a trumpet that's going to sound. Amen. And when that trumpet sounds, do you know what's going to happen? We, the people of God, are going to assemble And the Bible says that we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord. And so shall we meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. And just as Israel listened, even though they lived as families, even though they dwelt in their tents, even though they cooked their meals, even though they had their animals and their little ones, they always lived listening for the trumpet to sound because they never knew when God was going to move. Friends, that is exactly how you and I are to live in this world today. We are to constantly be listening for the trumpet of God. And the Bible even goes so far as to say that there is a crown that is laid up in heaven for those who love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
for those who long for him, for those who say, even so, come quickly, Lord, amen. And my question to you today is, do you long for the coming of the Lord? Is it the prayer of your heart, even so, come quickly, Lord, even so, come quickly? Or are you comfortable in this world? Has worldliness got a grip on you? Has worldliness invaded your soul? Has worldliness created strings that's got you attached here that should you not hear that trumpet call? That's my question today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, I ask you and urge you, avoid sexual immorality. For God is an avenger of these things. Don't be as the Gentiles who don't know the Lord, the Bible says. No, we who know the Lord, our lives should be holy. Our lives should be pure. Our lives should be without spot. Or wrinkle, because the Bible says very clearly, hear me today, church. The Bible says so clearly that when it comes to that new city, when it comes to our heavenly home, when it comes to the gates of that new Jerusalem, listen to what the Word of God says. The Bible says that no vile thing shall enter in. Are you vile today? Are you immoral today? Has worldliness wrapped itself around you that it would disqualify you from entering that city? The Bible says that the only ones who will be able to enter that city are those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says the only ones who will enter are those without spot, those without wrinkle. And how do you do that? The only way is to be cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It is not being a good person. It is not being a religious person. It is not being a spiritual person. You know, many people today are not religious, but they're spiritual. And spirituality will send you to hell as fast as anything else will. It is not being religious or kind or moral or good or spiritual. It is about being born again. And there's only one way to be born again, and that is to come through the blood. And that is the only way. That is the only way. Christ is coming. And the Bible says that when he comes, he's looking for a people of faith on the earth. He's looking for people of faith. Will you be one of those? Just how quickly are we to the return of Christ? Well, let me give you some things to consider. The Bible says that he's going to return with a shout, with a cry of command, with the archangel of the Lord, with the blast of a trumpet. But when will that be? See, scoffers have always said, Well, if Christ were going to come, would he not have already done it? People have always said, people said that back in the Bible days. Do you realize that? That's why Peter wrote, scoffers laugh and say, 
when is he coming? And, and Peter instructs us, and listen to what Peter said. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You know, one day I was praying, and I asked the Lord, because I, in my very small thinking, in my feeble thinking, my human thinking, and very often my sinful thinking, one day I asked the Lord, and I was very sincere in my heart. I said, Lord, why does it feel like you have tricked the church all these generations? The Bible says you're coming quickly. And as a human, I wouldn't consider 2,000 years quickly. And I said, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it, feels, it feels almost like, like you've given every generation false hope. And every generation of the church has looked for your coming and you haven't came. Why didn't you just, and I said, Lord, forgive me, but why didn't you just almost, you know, be honest and say, it's probably going to be a while. I mean, that's a fair question, isn't it? And I love it when the Lord answers my questions with the Bible. And one day I'm reading in 1 John and the Bible says that thus everyone who hopes in his appearing purifies himself. And the Lord said, Chad, do you see why I want my people to hope in my coming? Because it changes the way we live. It purifies us. You know your life right now. You know your, your faults. You know your shortcomings. You know your blatant sin. If you knew that Jesus was going to return at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, would you change the way you're living right now? If you really knew that? If there was an audible voice from heaven right now that says, pack your bags, last call, what would you repent from right now today if you really believed that? See, the Lord wants us to look to his coming because it purifies our daily life. We would not do, we would not be, we would not act the way that so many of us do if we really believed that Christ would come at any moment. It purifies us. So let me show you a couple of things. People asking when the Lord's coming back, it's nothing new at all. As a matter of fact, did you know that Jesus' followers asked him the same question? In Matthew chapter 24, you're welcome to turn there. You can read it on your own time. But in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is at the beautiful temple. And, you know, the temple was this magnificent structure. It was the crown jewel of Israel. And his disciples sat down with him and they said, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of the end of the age and the sign of your coming? And tell us, when will these things be? And Jesus gives them a very interesting answer. Jesus tells his followers, the angels in heaven do not know and the son of man doesn't know. Only the father knows. Now, I believe that changed, and I'm going to show you why. 
But Jesus said, even me, the son of man, I don't know. Only the father knows. How interesting is that? And then Jesus is going to say some things with precision. But listen to what he says. <coughs> he says, you see this beautiful temple? I'm telling you, there's coming a day that not one stone will be left upon the other. Let me tell you how precise the words of Jesus were. Now remember, Jesus died in the 30s, AD 30. Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, so almost 40 years later. Jesus couldn't have known this had he not been the son of God. And listen to what he said. He said, I'm telling you, not one stone will be left upon another. Let me tell you a bit of history right here. When Titus, when the general Titus of the Roman army sieged Jerusalem, he was so greedy for the gold in the temple. They would melt gold in the temple. And as the years passed, all this gold that was melted seeped in and between the large stones of the temple floor. And he was so greedy for the gold that you know what he commanded his soldiers to do? To rip the stones out to get the gold. And just as Jesus said, not one stone was left upon another. Isn't that fascinating? Now, there are Muslims today who would try to say, well, Israel, you know, the temple was never there and it never belonged to Israel. And, you know, they try to argue that, no, listen, you can Google it. And some of you, if you've ever been to Rome, I had an opportunity to go there and you can Google it today. There is what's called the Arch of Titus. And this beautiful, magnificent arch was built for Titus when he returned to Rome as a conquering hero. And in the arch of Titus, when you walk through it, they have got uh, uh, this incredible concrete, beautiful, I don't know if it's, could, it may be a different material, whatever it is. They have got pictures along the side of how they sacked Jerusalem and the things they carried out, like the seven golden lampstands and the cups of the Lord and all these things that belong to the Lord. And there, it literally, when I walked through it, it just put chills all over me to see the words of Jesus cemented in history to where it's irrefutable. Jesus said, in the last days, there'll be war There'll be rumors of war. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. All this is in Matthew 24. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be pestilence and famines. And people go, yeah, well, those things have always been. Sure, but that's not the point Jesus is making. Intensity is the point. He said, when you see all these things, the end is not yet. These are birth pains. Those of you who are pregnant right now, we've got about eight or nine moms pregnant in the church right now. You know that? Thank you for helping add to our church growth. We appreciate your commitment. We thank you for your commitment to that. May the Lord bless you and add many more to you in Jesus' name. Um, except for my wife. We're done. We're finished. <laughs> Anyways. Get off in the weeds there, rabbit trail. Um, those of you who have had children, you may be pregnant for many months, but you know when birth pangs kick in, right? 
you know when contractions begin, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been famine. There's always been pestilence. Look at this, this diabolical coronavirus that seemed to be forming into a pandemic. There's always been these things, but Jesus is talking about the intensity of them. Friends, we're living in the last days. So watch this. AD 70, Titus crushes Jerusalem. That day, Israel ceases to be a nation, a geographical nation. They're still a people, but they're no longer a nation. And Jesus says that in the last days, you're going to see wars and rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom, pestilence, famine, earthquakes in various places. But then the end is not yet. Not yet. Jesus said this gospel must be preached to all peoples, to all nations. Now, this is beautiful. If you're with me, just say amen. Is it okay if I just teach for a minute? Let's, let's get this. I love, this is, oh, this is my heart language right here. We're, we're getting into, okay. You know, when Jesus said that the gospel must be preached to all nations, you realize Jesus doesn't mean geographical nations, right? Like borders, because borders change and nations change. He doesn't mean nations like Romania or South Africa or China or Russia. He means people groups, The Greek word for nations there is ethnos, people groups, ethnos. And what Jesus is saying is until all people groups have heard the gospel, he's not going to return. Friends, let me tell you the most exciting news. We follow Wycliffe Bible translators and we support Wycliffe Bible translators financially. As a matter of fact, some of you weren't here a couple of years ago This church, to the glory of God, we translated the book of 1 John for a people group in Southeast India that has zero portions of the Bible in their native tongue. And thank God we funded the book of 1 John for that people group. Amen? Do you know what we do when we do things like that? We are ushering in the return of Jesus Christ. And right now, Wycliffe tells us that there are about 8,000 people groups with no scripture in their native tongue translated yet. And God is raising up workers all over the world. God is raising up financing all over the world. And to the glory of God, this is what they estimate. They estimate that by the year 2025, all people groups of the earth will have a portion of scripture in their native tongue amen we're at the finish line of it the finish line the finish line glory to God amen in AD 70 Israel ceased to be a nation now if you want to understand prophecy if you want to understand end times this is what you have to understand I want you to note this if you've never understood this Israel is God's prophetic clock. Everything starts and stops with Israel. Israel is God's prophetic clock. Now, come on, don't let me lose you right now. We're talking about the return of Christ. We're talking about worldliness, and we're talking about why Christ is about to return. 
From AD 70, Israel was not a nation. In the 1100s, the 1200s, the 1500s, the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, all of that period of world history, God's clock was silent. But do you know what happened on May 14th, 1948? In our lifetime, Israel became a nation. Do you know what the ramifications of that is, church? That means that the hands of God's prophetic clock began to tick. That means scripture is literally unfolding before our eyes. Hallelujah. God's clock is ticking right now today. And right now there is nothing hindering the coming of Christ. Now, you know, in the church world, there's a great debate of when Christ will come. If it is before the rapture or before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation, I can tell, you know, I can tell a lot of families come to our church unchurched and we're really their first real church. And I love that. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, their questions are like, you know, what's communion and, you know, where are the bathrooms? And, you know, it's great. But I can usually tell when someone comes from a church background because a lot of times this is a question I get asked a lot. And I kind of chuckle when people ask me this. They go, Pastor Chad, are you a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Some of you are like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. You have pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. What they're asking is, do I believe that Christ is going to come back before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation? A pre, mid, or post? And you know what? I I just laugh. You know what I tell people? I'm a pan-trib. A pan-trib. I believe everything's going to pan out exactly how God wants it all to pan out, right? Now, I'm not dogmatic on it, but let me just, again, can I teach for, what time? Tell me, somebody tell me what time it is. <laughs> well, amen. I'll take it. I'll take it. Amen. I have no idea what time it is. Okay. I lean, biblically, I lean immensely heavy toward pre-trip. And let me explain to you why. When I say the word rapture, what comes to your mind? Now, again, I realize, brothers, sisters, some of you have not been in strong churches in the past, and some of you don't have any teaching in this, and that's okay. Don't feel bad. Don't don't feel any less. Uh, But I want to teach you right now, because these are things you need to know. If we're going to live like people who are listening for the trumpet, we need to know these things. So if you'll allow me, let me just do a little teaching right here. So there are people who, you know, when it comes to the church world, you got, you got camps and you got people who believe this and they don't believe that and they argue and they debate and all this and that. So you got people who don't believe in a rapture. They only believe in the second coming. I personally believe in both. I believe that there is a rapture of the church and I believe there is a second coming 
of Jesus. And let me explain the difference. What the Bible teaches, and people who don't believe in a rapture, this is what they'll say. Well, the word rapture is not in the church, in the Bible. Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible, but we still believe it. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the teaching is there. The doctrine is there. The word rapture, just because our English word rapture is not in the Bible, doesn't mean the teaching is not there. In our text, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think maybe verse 16, it says, we who are alive and remain, when Christ comes, we who are alive and remain, will be called up in the clouds. We'll be called up with him. That word caught up means rapture. Now, why do I believe that's different than the coming of the Lord? Now, in other places in the New Testament, when it says the day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord, that's referring to what we call his second coming. His first coming was he came as a baby, virgin born. He came to die. His second coming, he's going to physically come to the earth and he's going to reign and he's going to rule forever. Now, this is the difference. In the rapture, he comes in the clouds. Remember what we said? How did he ascend to the Father? In the clouds, in a like manner, he's going to come again. But he doesn't physically touch the earth. Rather than physically coming to the earth, we go to be with him. The Bible says that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. We'll be gone. We will, we will go from this mortal body. And listen, when that day comes, that Christ comes, we who are alive and, and remain, if, if it is our generation, we will not taste death. And we'll be the first generation ever to not taste death because in a moment we'll be translated into the clouds with the coming of the Lord like that. Amen? That's what the scripture teaches. Now, why is that different than the second coming? Because in the second coming, Christ physically, literally touches down on earth, not to go back. He's going to stay. Now, what's interesting, this summer, Lord willing, we're going to do a study on the seven churches of Revelation. It's going to be fascinating, fascinating. I'm already prepping for it, and it's not till June and July. But here's what's fascinating. When you read the book of Revelation, now listen to this. The first three chapters are all about the church. Chapters one, two, and three is all about the church of Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to prove to you in the Bible is the seven churches of Revelation, not only were they literal physical congregations in Asia Minor, they also represent church history. We can go back and look. So, for example, the church of Ephesus, we can show, we can prove with history how that was the first century church. The church of Smyrna, Jesus said, you're going to have 10 days of persecution. That was the Roman Empire. Do you realize that there were literally 10 waves of persecution? The church of Philadelphia, the Bible says that God was going to set them before an open door that no man could open and no man could close. It was going to be an open door. And you know what happened in the 1700s? World missions exploded in the 17 and 1800s. That was the church of Philadelphia. And you know what he says about the last church, Laodicea? It's not good. The church would be wealthy, 
The church would be lazy and the church would have need of nothing, but yet we're poor, naked, and wretched in the eyes of God. Is that not the church of today? Now, here's what's interesting. After Revelation chapter three, the church is never mentioned again on the earth. Chapters four, chapter five, it's all about the throne of God. We'll all be around the throne of God. People from every kindred, from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. All those beautiful people groups, we're all gonna be around the throne of God. But then chapter six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and so on is all about the tribulation period. And do you know where the church is during the tribulation period? We're in heaven. Why? Because the trumpet at that point had already sounded. The dead in Christ has already rose first. We who were alive and remain, we've already been called up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with him, amen? And then at the end of all of that, the last, the final great rebellion of Satan and mankind against God Almighty will be the battle of Armageddon. And that's when the second coming of Jesus truly is. And do you know who will come with him? The blood-bought church. Amen? So what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming? The difference is Christ comes in the clouds in the rapture and we go to be with him. What's the difference in the second coming? He's gonna physically touch down on earth and we're gonna be with him. That's the difference. Why do I lean toward, this is where I'll begin to finish today. Why do I lean toward a pre-tribulation rapture? Let me, let me just explain this and then I'll, I'll close for today. If my view of the Bible was that I believe Jesus was gonna come in the mid part of the tribulation, that would mean that we would have to see a peace treaty signed between the Antichrist and Israel. We would see the mark of the beast come up on the scene and have to choose if you're going to accept that or not. There's so many things that we would have to see happen. The temple being built in Jerusalem the Antichrist desolating the temple as the book of Daniel teaches. If I believed that Christ was not gonna come until the end of the tribulation and that we would have to endure to the end in order to be saved and we would have to go through all seven years of the tribulation, that means we would have to see every seal judgment, every bowl judgment. That means that we would have to see the witnesses in Jerusalem murdered and then rise again. By the way, I was listening to the news this week. Think about this for just a moment. The Bible says that when the two witnesses are killed in Jerusalem and when they rise from the dead and they rise again, the Bible says that every eye on the earth will see it. Friends, how could that have happened 100 years ago? How could that have even happened 50 years ago that every eye on the earth would see it? How would that have been possible? You know what they're getting ready to do right now? They, they said it in a news conference last week. They're getting ready to launch, listen to this, 10,000 satellites to orbit the earth and they're creating what they called a web of satellites 
for instant information so that the most remote parts of the earth will have the internet. I got goosebumps when I heard that because you know what's gonna happen when those two witnesses fulfill the word of God? Every eye is gonna have a cell phone and they're gonna watch it. Amen? Friends, we're living where the Bible's unfolding before our very eyes. So if I believed that all of these things had to happen, here is my question to my brothers and sisters who believe that. Where is the imminence of Christ's return? Where is the urgency? Where is the readiness? See what the Bible teaches over and over and over and over about the coming of Christ is that he'll come in an hour that you think not. He'll come as a thief in the night. Have your oils, have your oil ready, have your lamps trimmed because the son of God is coming quickly. Well, friends, if we had to see the Antichrist come on the scene, the mark of the beast and Armageddon and all this stuff, then where is, where is the urgency? Where's the eminence that Christ could return at any moment? For that primary reason, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I believe that Christ could come at any second. Amen? And that's why I live prepared. That's why I live ready. That's why if there's sin in my heart, I want to rid out of it because Christ could come at any moment. Is there worldliness in you today? Is there immorality in you today? Are you messing with sin, allowing sin, harboring sin? My friends, I cannot warn you and I cannot urge you strong enough as the book of James says, The judge is at the door and he's about to enter. Have your life right. Have your life holy. Wash your robes in the blood of the lamb because that trumpet is about to sound and I wouldn't miss it for the world. Let's bow our heads. I don't know where you are in your life. but are you ready? Are you ready? You say, Chad, Christ may not come back for another thousand years. That's very true. But that still don't change the fact your life, my life is as a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Christ may not come back for decades or centuries or even millennia. But what the Bible teaches is that nothing's prohibiting him from coming today. Are you ready? If you're not ready, I wanna invite you to this altar today. (coughs) If there's unforgiveness in your life, you're not ready for the rapture. If there's bitterness in your heart, you're not ready for the rapture. If there's sin of any kind, unchecked sin, of any kind, you're not ready. I wanna invite you 
to slip out of your seat today. Kneel or stand or sit at this altar and say, Jesus, make me ready. I'm coming today to wash my robes in the blood of the lamb. I'm coming today so that when I walk out of this building, I'll be without spot. I'll be without wrinkle. You say, Chad, what will people think of me? I don't know. They got their own mess to worry about. They got their own sin. You don't worry about that. I, listen, it's a full-time job to keep myself where I need to be. I don't, I'm not worried about what you're praying about. I'm worried about my soul. I'm concerned about me. So you come right now. If you're not ready, you come get ready. We have people who will pray with you, deacons, deacons' wives. You be ready. And you just slip out of your seat right now. And you come and you kneel before the Lord. You sit on the stage. You stand if you need to stand. And you say, God, today I wash my robes in the blood of the Lamb. Today I want to be without spot. I want to be without wrinkle. And I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I want to be ready. And today, Lord, I make myself ready. I'm going to walk out of this building listening for the trumpet. And I'm going to live a ready life from here on out. You pray as God directs you. Father, I don't want to be arrogant pretend like we understand everything about prophecy. Oh God, we certainly don't. We certainly don't. We don't understand everything. Like Paul said, we see through a glass dimly. But what we do understand, Lord, we believe you're coming quickly. As some are praying, one thing I forgot, and I want to share this, as, and if you need to come pray, you just slip out and come. I told you that uh, when Jesus told his followers in Matthew 24 that only the Father knows when these things will be, even the Son of Man doesn't know. I told you, I believe that changed, and I'd prove it to you. Well, it was his followers who asked Jesus that. And you know who the last disciple of Jesus was the very last one that was the last before they died John the beloved John who wrote the gospel of John 1st 2nd 3rd John and the book of Revelation (coughs) everyone else died a martyr's death but John died of natural causes and as an old man God shared with him the book of Revelation And you know how Revelation begins out? Jesus answers the question from his disciples from Matthew 24. And he tells John the beloved, the final remaining disciple, Jesus said, write these things down, the things that must soon take place. See, I believe once Jesus ascended to the Father, He then knew all of the plan, all of it. And I think Christ knows 
the very moment he's going to return. And he shared the book of Revelation with us. And it's such a sweet book. For the lost, it's a scary book. But for the saved, it's a sweet book. So Father, we obey your command today. We encourage one another with these words. We'll avoid sexual immorality for you are an avenger of these things. We'll wash our robes in the blood of the lamb. We'll prepare our lives for the coming of Jesus. We'll hope in your coming and thus purify ourselves in the process. And God, we long for your coming. May we receive that crown because we lived like your coming in Jesus' name. Lord, it's our heart's prayer. The very last words of Jesus recorded in the Bible, the very last words, behold, I come quickly. And Father, it's our prayer today. Even so, come quickly, Lord. Even so, come quickly. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We rid ourselves of worldliness. We turn our backs on sin. We renounce it. We renounce sexual immorality. And God, we want to be a pure people, a holy people, a righteous people, a blood-bought people. We are the people of God. And I thank you right now, Jesus, that when you return, when you come back, you're coming for one thing, for one thing, for one thing you're coming for. One thing, the people of God. Thank you that we're among your people. It is the privilege of our lives. Thank you that we're your people. We're your people. We are the people of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, in closing, help us to be a church that we get this gospel out every way that we can. Apps, Websites, videos, radio, every way that we possibly can. Bibles, Urdu Bibles for Pakistan. Bible translation work through the Wycliffe Bible translators, God. Every way possible, every way possible, every way possible. 